Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Well, we've made it to Leviticus chapter 10, and this morning we're going to only cover four verses, verse 3 through 7, because in this text is a new law given to the priesthood of Israel, but it really reflects about who Jesus Christ is. And I believe that's so important. Amen? All right, so tearing your clothes, have any of you got so frustrated so deeply grieved that you ripped your clothes. You ever do that? No? How about in the Old Testament? They did that a lot, right? In fact, we find if a sign of mourning, a, a sign of weeping or, or being so perplexed would be to rent your clothes and to throw dust on your head and sometimes put on sackcloth, right? And ashes. I don't know about you, but uh, any of you guys ever work out and then get in a fight way back in high school? <laughs> so uh, I remember what, but before we would fight, we would usually rip our t-shirt off. You know what I mean? Because you don't want them grabbing your shirt in a fight because they can throw you around with just your shirt. So we would rip our t-shirts off. That's the only time modern times I can think of people actually renting their clothes, right? In our culture, yeah, maybe they're crazy. They run, rip them off or something like that. But in Jewish culture and other nations in antiquity, it was a sign of mourning or complete distress over a situation. We read over and over again of people renting their clothes, right? Rip, ripping their clothes. Aaron just lost two of his sons. Uh, last week we talked about that. Remember why God killed them? Was it really the strange fire they offered? No, it was a position of their heart. They didn't honor God, right? Before the people or before God. And Aaron had every right to do what they always did back then, to rip his clothes. But we're going to find Moses told him he couldn't do that. It would have been appropriate for him to. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3, it says, Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. Obviously, Aaron's sons did not do that. And before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. He didn't protest God taking his sons. He realized, he knew, they didn't honor God in their heart. They were not honoring God before the people. So verse 4, Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Isaiah, And he said to them, come forward, carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to outside the camp. So they came forward and carried them still in their tunics to the outside of the camp, as Moses had said. Verse 6, Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not uncover your heads. What they would do is, if they had a covering on, they would take it off, dishevel their head, even put dust in their hair as a, as a way of mourning the death of a loved one, and they would rip their clothes. Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, so that you will not, what does it say up there? Die. Die. 
this little verse would be so easy to gloss over. And in fact, the whole sermon today, God put on my heart, is based on this command right here. Do not uncover your heads. Do not tear your clothes so that you will not die and that he will not become wrathful against all the congregation. What's he saying there? Man, if you as the high priest rent your clothes right now, not only will you die, but God will pour out his wrath on the whole nation of Israel. Think about that. Why? Because the high priest represented the whole nation to God. Do you know when he went at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, right, in the Jewish festival calendar, when he would go into the Holy of Holies and present the offering, if God didn't accept it, what happened? Potentially he died, and the whole nation of Israel would suffer for the whole next year. Yeah, and, and bells on the, uh, his uh, robe and pomegranates on his robe. And the whole house of Israel will bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. Verse 7. And you shall not even go out of the doorway of the tents of meeting, or you will die. For the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. So they did according to the word of Moses. Verse 6 is what we're going to focus on. Do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes so that you will not die. You see, back then, everybody tore their clothes when their loved ones died. Even when they were confronted with various situations, they would rip their clothes. The tearing of one's clothes is really an ancient tradition. It's associated with distress and mourning and grief and loss. And the first mention is in Genesis chapter 37, all the way back then. Remember when Reuben, Joseph's son, they had put Joseph where? The brothers. In a pit, right? And then they took his coat, they killed the lamb, they put the blood on the coat, remember, and they took it back. And Reuben went out to look for his brother, Joseph, and he wasn't in the pit. And what did Reuben do? Tore his clothes, all right? That was the sign of, of what uh, they would do when they would mourn. A short time later, Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned because he thought Joseph was dead, Genesis 37. All right. Sin and failure was uh, the cause of tearing the garment. Joshua 7 records a sin of Achan. Remember this? Hey, they were just coming into the promised land. They uh, fought the battle, and God said, All of this is mine. Do not take any of the spoils from this battle. And what did Achan do? Took some silver, and he took a really nice coat, you know, and a really nice garment, and he hid it under his tent. And they went to Ai, up the hill, to fight, that their scouts said, oh man, we can take this town easy, no problem. So they go up there, and guess what? They were defeated at Ai. So Joshua's like, man, I thought you were going to go before us. I thought we were going to be victorious. Lord, why did you bring us out of Egypt to come into this land for us to go to battle when you said you're going to fight our battles? Man, we're going to be victorious, and we lost. And God said, what? Ah, someone in your camp didn't obey me. They took things that were dedicated and consecrated to me. And because of that, oh my goodness, you lost the battle at Ai. And then Joshua did what? He tore his clothes, fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. 
He mourned all day that loss. And the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. Remember, they would dishevel their head, put dust on it, rip their clothes. Everybody knew when you were mourning or when you encountered a frustration back then because you would have dust or ash on your head, your clothes would be ripped. Everybody would know it. <laughs> now we're just torn apart inside, right? Man, when we face some things in life, it rips our heart. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, it, it's just, ah. And that was the outward sign of really the inward ripping of the heart. Other biblical examples of guys tearing their clothes were David when Saul and Jonathan were killed. Remember the messenger came, said Saul and uh, Jonathan were killed and David ripped his clothes. He wasn't happy. Elisha, when Elijah was taken up to heaven. Remember Elijah was taken up in that fiery chariot? UFO, right? I, I mean, it just, it's kind of weird. <laughs> they had fiery chariots back then. Okay. Uh, Job, when he uh, bereaved, uh, lost all his possessions, he ripped his clothes. Jephthah, when he learned of the rash vow, remember he returned from battle, and he said, God, whatever comes out my front door, I don't know why he'd make this stupid vow, uh, I dedicate to you fully, essentially saying I'm going to kill it, sacrifice it for you, uh, which is a weird thing. Who came out? His daughter. Mordecai, when he learned of Haman's plot to destroy the Jews. Ahab, when Elijah pronounced judgment against him. And even Paul and Barnabas in the New Testament, when the people of Lystra began to worship them. Remember that? What'd they call them? Yeah, they called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. Because Paul did all the talking and Hermes was really the mouthpiece for their... Mouthpiece? Mouthpiece for their gods. <laughs> That's funny. Priests were not allowed to tear their clothes. This is the first time in our text this morning, Leviticus chapter 10, that God made this new rule. Hey, priest, you cannot rip your clothes. Now, we're going to find that this is significant, and I can't wait to get into this. Do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes so that you will not die. Leviticus, later on, chapter 21, verse 10, it says, The priest who is the highest among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil has been poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head nor tear his clothes. The result of the high priest tearing his clothes would be immediate loss of position and potentially death. Now think about that. Why is this significant? Is there anywhere in the Bible we have a priest, high priest, ripping their clothes? You got it. It's a high priest named Caiaphas when Jesus was standing trial before him, right? Now, we're going to find something really interesting. Priests knew God. Here's another reason why they couldn't rip their clothes. Priests got to walk with God, right? I mean, a priest represented the people to God and God to the people. Aren't you glad that that's not how it is today? We have one high priest. You go directly to God through him. You don't have to come to me, right? You know, now it's good to ask each other to pray for each other and pray for one another, but I'm not a mediator, no pastor is, or so-called priest, because we have one priest, Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. So, they stood in the presence of God and experienced his glory. Have you ever done that? In worship, maybe, alone, just spending time in prayer on your knees before a holy God, and you just feel 
his Holy Spirit like the balm of Gilead come upon you. They experienced the presence of God. They needed to demonstrate that compared to knowing God, the trials of life really shouldn't cause despair to the point that you're ripping your clothes. Are you with me? Even through the most difficult challenges and trials of your life, with Jesus Christ on your side, you can make it through it. Oh, sure, we will grieve. There's a time to weep and a time to mourn, right? But the ripping of the clothes was more deeper than that. I know that's not proper English, but I said it that way. It was the idea of, I am hopeless. I am, I am to the end of myself. And as believers, we should never get there. And priests shouldn't get there. Anyone who stands in the presence of God has no reason for hopelessness and despair. Sure, we can be mourning, we can weep, we can be sad but not to the point of complete hopelessness, right? Amen? If the priest tore his clothes in despair over any circumstance, it would be declaring to the people essentially that, hey, this problem is so big, God can't handle it. Are you with me? You see, the Bible says, be ready to give an answer for those who, what? Ask about the hope that is within you. How does that happen? We face a trial, and in the midst of it, we can be sad, we can mourn. Oh, man, it's, you know, I lost this loved one. Oh, it's so sad. But I know where they went. And even if you don't, I know God will hold me through this. The hope that's within you. Are you with me? Okay. All right. So when God told them how to make the robe back in Exodus, he said this. Exodus 28, 31. You shall make the robe of the ephod of blue... And there shall be an opening at the top in the middle of it, and around its opening there shall be a binding of woven work, like the opening of a coat of mail, so that what? It will not be torn. So the priestly robe didn't have any seams in it. It just had one opening, and the opening was reinforced so it couldn't be torn. And he commanded the priest... You shall not tear your garments. If you do, you will die. You will lose your position. You'll lose the priesthood. It was a seamless robe. Very interesting. Jesus wore, guess what, when he went to the cross? A seamless robe. John chapter 19, verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part for every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, Woven in one piece, just like a priestly robe. Guess what? John 19.5, Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now here's the difference. The priests, we already read it in Exodus. They wear what color robe? It's at the top. Blue. Could a priest be a king? No. Could a king be a priest? Absolutely not. There was only one example in the Old Testament of that. Who was it? Melchizedek, right? There's only one example in the New Testament, Jesus. All right, now we're going to get into that. It's really cool. All right, the beauty of God's word, this is what I love. All 66 books flow together as if one author wrote it. We call that in hermeneutics, which is the science of interpreting scripture, 
expositional consistency. So as we exposit Scripture, the type of preaching we do is expository preaching. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's preaching from the Word of God, not from an idea where we get verses to substantiate whatever idea. Does that make sense? So we're not like, hmm, I think this, let me find a few verses to prove my point, and now I'm going to preach on it. No, we preach just what the Word of God says. Biblicist, ex, uh, expository or expositional consistency. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. As if a master tapestry maker, God himself, wove this together, and each thread, each verse, each little command, like priests, don't rip your robes is there for a purpose. It shows the beauty of this book, how it all flows together. And this tapestry that the whole book comes together to give us is a picture of who God is. Isn't that amazing? His special revelation to us. The high priest represented God to the people and the people to God. He could not tear his clothes. Why is that significant? It's all about Jesus Christ. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? Caiaphas was high priest when Jesus ministered on the earth. He unwittingly did two things that established Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the new high priest forever. Caiaphas did that. Do you know that? Do you know he prophesied? Yeah, you remember, right? Okay, we're going to read it. He prophesied about Jesus' death. Remember, uh, Jesus just made this great miracle. All the Pharisees were gathered and they held the Sanhedrin. That was the, the governing council. It was like the Supreme Court for the Jews. And the Sanhedrin, the members set, and they all were wanting to kill him. And verse 47 of John chapter 11 says, Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing for this man is performing many signs? If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for all the people and that the whole nation not perish. Okay, think that was prophecy? Absolutely. Jesus died for all the people. Verse 51. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the whole nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That includes you and me. Amen? Amen. All right. So Caiaphas unwittingly prophesied as the high priest, probably in the temple, in the Sanhedrin, this man will die for all mankind. In communion, that's what we remembered. Remember, Jesus said, you'll declare my death until I come. All right, that's the first thing. Second thing he did is he gave up the priesthood completely. And it fell on Jesus Christ. How did he do it? Matthew chapter 26, starting over 64. Jesus said to him, You have said to yourself, Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see, or you've said it yourself. Now, Caiaphas was questioning him. And he said, 
by the living God, tell us, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, you said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What do you think Caiaphas did? Verse 65, then the high priest tore his robe. In our text this morning, in Leviticus chapter 21, we found the day the high priest did that, he gave up his position, and most importantly, he would probably die. Here's Christ standing before the high priest, and he gives up the priesthood. And who does it fall on? I believe Jesus Christ. Okay, it's really interesting. Verse 66, what do you think? And the answer, he deserves death. Church fathers uh, and commentaries way back talked about this a little bit. St. Bedid, you ever hear that one? No, me neither. <laughs> but I found the quote. The drama of Caiaphas tearing his vestments signifies the termination of the old covenant priesthood. In contrast, the seamless vestment of Jesus is not torn but remains intact. Remember that? We went over that. Signifying the new priesthood of Christ will endure forever. Matthew 26, 64. Again, Jesus said, man, the son of, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. Who's that? God the Father, right? Coming on the clouds of heaven. This isn't just an answer off the top of his head, but he's quoting from the book of Psalms. And Caiaphas would have known this quote. Psalm uh, chapter 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand and I will make my enemies your footstool. Now, more than that, Caiaphas knows just a few verses later in that psalm. Guess what it says? Verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So when Christ pretty much quoted this Messianic prophecy, Psalm 110, Caiaphas knew it and he knew what the next verse says. If he's Messiah, he's going to become the high priest. Are you with me? Okay. So he ripped his clothes. Now, why did he do that? He was so enraged. He was so angry that he unwittingly, not only did he prophesy about who Christ, what Christ would do, he had died for the whole world, but then he ripped his clothes and gave up the priesthood. First time in the Bible a high priest ever ripped his clothes. So this one law in our text this morning would have easily been able to gloss over it, really pointed to the most significant event in history, Christ becoming the high priest and offering himself as the sacrifice. Amen? Okay. Now it even gets better than that. All right. When Caiaphas tore his robe, he gave up the priesthood. And now it rightly fell on Jesus, the high priest. So when Jesus offered himself, he did so as the priest of heaven and legally ushered in the new covenant, right? Now, this whole Old Testament is really what? The first five books, law. You almost need a law degree to study it. Wow, we're having a good time going through it, though, aren't we? And I, the whole idea is everything has to be legal from God's point of view. Covenants are legally binding. So 
Christ legally became the high priest. And I'm gonna, we're going to get into that. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. Now, if perfection was through Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it people received the law, what further need would there be for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of what? Law also. That's Old Covenant, New Covenant. All right, now this gets really, really cool. Hebrews 5.4 says, No one takes the honor to himself, that's becoming a priest in context, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying. Can you picture Jesus? Man, we really don't get that whole picture in the Gospels. A few times he wept, right, when he saw Jerusalem. He said, man, how I wish to gather you together like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Ah, but you wouldn't see me. And he wept over Jerusalem. Loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as what? High priest according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, so this began the new covenant. The priesthood transferred from the line of Aaron through Levi, the Le Levitical priesthood, to the order of Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek? Stan, you got it. That's exactly right. We're going to get there. It's interesting that the robe of Jesus, the true high priest, is not torn. As John records regarding the soldiers who crucified him, John 19, 24. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it and decide whose it will be. We just went over the steps to be ordained as a priest. Remember the seven steps that we all go through, that Aaron and his sons went through? Well, I'll remind you of those. All priests of Israel would have to go through those steps. And guess what? Jesus went through those steps. Why? Because by the law, he had to become the legal high priest as he transitioned from the law to the new covenant, the law of grace. Amen? Okay, so it's really cool. Just really quick. Number one, washed. We, remember, we went through this several weeks. Jesus, when he was baptized, was John. And by the way, John the Baptist was a Levitical priest. Remember that? Who was John's father? Zechariah, and he's in there, and he didn't believe his wife was going to get pregnant. And when the angel told him, what did he do? Oh, he laughed, and he went blind, and he goes, you're not going to see anything until she gives birth. Isn't that amazing? He was, he was in the Holy of Holies when God said, I'm going to give you a son, John the Baptist. So he was part of the Levitical priesthood. He baptized Jesus Christ, remember? That's the washing. Number two, clothed. When the Romans put on the royal robe, he was clothed with that priestly garment. But since he's a king and a priest, 
The color wasn't blue anymore, it was purple. Yes, exactly. Consecrated when the Holy Spirit came on him at his baptism. Remember, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove onto Christ. Okay, that's when he was anointed and consecrated. Atonement, when he offered himself for our sins. Only a priest could do it. Communion, the Last Supper, communion, ordination, when God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And ministry, three years Christ ministered on the earth in God's glory at the Man of Transfiguration. Christ did all those steps. The washing and the anointing, Matthew 3.13, it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Could you, can you picture this? John says later, Hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world when he sees Christ coming, right? And Christ comes up to him and says, Need to get baptized. John's like, no, you need to baptize me. I baptize with water, but you're going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Man, I need your baptism. And Jesus said, what did he say? Let's just read it. But Jesus answered, uh, Matthew 3.15, and said to him, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Who is that king of righteousness? Jesus. Who is the king of righteousness? Jesus Christ. Hey, he needed to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, John the Baptist, permitted it. Now, I pondered this verse all week. Okay, when Christ was baptized, he fulfilled all righteousness. And usually when I'm at a puzzling verse, I cross-reference, I dig into the original language. Then after I've prayed and tried to figure it out, then I'll run to commentaries and start reading them and see what some of these giants of old said about the text. Well, so I dug into it. Well, let's keep going. Verse 16. And after being baptized, Jesus come up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending as a dove and lighting on him, or landing on him, or covering him, anointing him. And behold, a voice came out of the heavens and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All right, so John baptizing Jesus was necessary permitted at this time to fulfill all righteousness. Fulfill in the Greek is pleru, and thayer is a Greek lexicon, which really gives you a, a real good idea of what that word means. To make full, to fill up, i.e., to fill to the full. To cause to abound, to furnish or sup. Uh, supply or liberally abound to be liberally supplied to render full i.e. complete guess what it is at this baptism when Jesus was ordained as priest but he didn't assume the role until who Caiaphas gave it up remember when uh, uh, David was anointed as king of Israel but who was still king 
Saul. Not until Saul died did he really become king. Same with Jesus. Even though here he was ordained, because remember what ordained means? Ordained in Hebrew is made up of two Hebrew words, obviously. Madah and Yad. And it means to fill completely the empty hand. Guess what happened here? Jesus said, permitted at this time, for in this way, Matthew 3.15, it is fitting for me, literally us, to be filled with all righteousness. And the Holy Spirit did what? Came upon him after the baptism and filled him and anointed him for ministry. Are you with me? Who led Jesus out to the wilderness to be tempted? The Holy Spirit, right? Because he was with them. In fact, when Jesus emptied himself, it's called the kenosis in the Greek. He literally emptied himself and was reliant on God through prayer and the Holy Spirit. That's how he could be tempted in all ways, just as we are, yet without sin. All right. So it even gets better than that. Now he could be a priest and offer himself as a sacrifice for all sin. Isaiah 53, 10, it says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse 11, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Speaking of Christ. All right. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for transgressions. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a payment or propitiation in his blood through faith. This was the demonstration of his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed and, dem and the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, so Christ became this high priest for us. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ became both priest and sacrifice. And he did it legally by the book. He, was, he went through all seven steps to be ordained as priest. Caiaphas gave up the priesthood. Christ became the high priest, offered himself, and brought in, ushered in the new covenant, which the author of Hebrews talks about. All right. So we need to talk a little bit more about this. Verse 30, keep going. This is he uh, on behalf of whom I said, after he comes a man who is higher ranked than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. 
And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him, on Jesus. He didn't leave him from that moment on. Now, I know some of you are thinking, what about the Trinity? Remember, three persons make up one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So at the baptism, we have the Father in heaven. This is my beloved Son. We have Christ on the earth, and we have the Holy Spirit descending on, as a dove and being with him or on him. Verse 33, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Speaking of Christ, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Speaking of Jesus, Isaiah 42, 1 says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my Spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. When did that happen? At his water baptism. God the Father put his spirit on Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God said, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I love that. God's glory in Jesus' face, Matthew 17, 1. Six days later, Jesus took him with Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white light. And behold, Moses and Elijah, who do they represent? Law and prophets, right? All the law, all the prophets. Christ fulfilled it all. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus, later in that passage, said, Don't tell anyone about this till after I rise from the dead. They didn't even think he was going to die, remember? But he prophesied over and over, I'm going to die. Three days, I'm going to be in the grave. Third day, I'm going to rise again. He said, don't tell anybody of what you just saw until after I'm raised. Jesus, under Jewish law, became the rightful high priest forever. He went through the seven steps. He was anointed and ordained as high priest. The acting high priest gave up the priesthood, Caiaphas, and when he did that, Christ assumed it because the new covenant was about to begin. Jesus offered the last sacrifice as the rightful royal priest. And that brings us to Melchizedek. Remember, we talked about him, right? Genesis 14, 18. Remember, Abram had just fought a, a battle, right? And he got all these spoils from the battle. He was victorious, and he's coming up towards Jerusalem. And who does he meet? Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. Melchizedek is a very interesting person, and you're going to find out why. Salem literally is another word for shalom, which means peace. Who is this king of peace? 
this prince of peace. But the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah 9, 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. How is that really translated in the Hebrew? Yeah, Mighty God. El Shaddai, right? El Shaddai. God the Father is El Shaddai. Jesus is El Shaddai. Why? They're, they're both God, but they're three persons make up one God. Eternal Father, bad translation. Literally, it should be Father of Eternity. Why? What do we find out in the Gospel of John, chapter 1? Who created all things? Jesus Christ. He is the Father of all creation. The Father created through the Son all things, and He sustains all things and holds them together. So literally, He's not the eternal Father. But there's one Father, one Son, one Holy Spirit. Prince of Peace. Interesting. Note this, Isaiah 9, 7. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish and uphold justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Psalm 110.4, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 5.6 was quoting that, it said, and the author of Hebrews couldn't remember the exact chapter and verse because they didn't have them yet. <laughs> they didn't have chapters and verses yet. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. God ordained Jesus as priest. We know that, well, yeah, we'll read that. Uh, Hebrews 5.8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God the Father as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. All right. He's our only mediator, right? Hey, 1 Timothy 2.3, this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Are you with me? No priest, no dead saint, not Mary, no other mediator. It's we go directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So who was this Melchizedek? Melchizedek's name literally means king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. King of righteousness. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Note this, Hebrews 7.1. For this Melchizedek, king of peace, shalom, priest of the Most High God who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is what? King of peace. That's what the Bible says. Who is this king of peace? Jesus Christ. Now this gets really interesting. Verse 3, Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Melchizedek was none other than who? Jesus Christ. A Christophany. Christophany is an Old Testament appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. 
All right. How do we know that? Only God has no genealogy, no beginning, and no end. Only God. That's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Melchizedek was a Christophany. Even acting as priest then, pointing to when he literally would be the high priest of the new covenant. All right. So Hebrews 7.23, the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds the priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy and innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. You know, a lot of commentators say, well, the reason Jesus had to get baptized is so that he could identify with us sinners. No, he was baptized as part of the steps to be ordained as a high priest. Hmm. Verse 27, who does not uh, need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people, because this he did once and for all when he offered himself as a priest, offered himself on the cross. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. We are priests too, amen? First Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Oh, so that you can go out and proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter 2.4, and coming to him as living stones, Oh, as a living stone, which was rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are priests. Revelation 5.10. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. When do we reign? During the millennial reign of Christ. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. That's the rapture. There's only two resurrections coming. Rapture the church, first resurrection. Second one is what? After the millennial reign, final judgment, when they're raised to final judgment. And they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And as priests, God looks at our heart, not our clothes. So in Joel chapter 2, First sermon preached to the church. Who, who preached it? Yeah, Peter preached it in Acts chapter 3, right? First sermon preached after the giving of the Holy Spirit. This was his text, Joel chapter 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. You see, he's looking for a broken and contrite heart. 
and the Lord your, and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting in evil. Even in the old covenant, we served a merciful, loving, gracious God. Fact is, God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 4.14, we've got three minutes. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. I love this verse. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen? We have an incredible high priest of the order of Melchizedek because, in fact, he is Melchizedek without beginning or end. That's Jesus Christ, not a created being. Hebrews 10, 19, and we'll end with this. Uh, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day. What day? The day of the Lord starts with the rapture, drawing near. Amen? Amen. Oh, I love it how that one little command, and it's only given twice in, in the whole Old Testament. Hey, priest, do not rip your garments. The day you rip it, you're going to lose your position and die. But those two things released Caiaphas from being the high priest of Israel, and it went to the new covenant high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen? Ah, oh, it's so amazing. Jesus, indeed, is our high priest. Come on up, worship guys. And we approach him as royal priests. And we go out as ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world. Amen? Amen. How great is our God, worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. And restores my soul, satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.